Keep God's word on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do what it says. Then you will truly be successful. Keep God's word on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do what it says. Then you will truly be successful. Welcome everybody to our 90 day challenge. Today is day 75. And the topic is the art of contentment. Be careful to do what it says, then you will truly be successful. We are in the book of First Timothy, First Timothy six, one through ten. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malice, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And that ends the reading of our worship lesson today. The topic again is the art of contentment. Apostle Paul is the author of First Timothy and the author of Philippians. In both letters, Paul is obsessed with this word content. In Philippians, for example, Paul writes in Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. Then again, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. In Philippians, Paul is writing a letter to the church at Philippi from prison. He is in prison, friends, not because he murdered anyone or because he forgot to pay child support. Paul was imprisoned because he had become a servant of righteousness. Wow. Isn't it interesting? Paul, whose former name was Saul, had persecuted Christians pre-conversion, but wasn't thrown into prison until after becoming an evangelist for Christ. Paul is in prison. And not only that, he is awaiting his death sentence. He expects to die pretty soon. But while he waits for that final curtain call, Paul decides to practice what he has learned. And whatsoever state he is in, he will be content. 
He is so content that he tells his guards about Jesus in Philippians 1 and 12. And eventually the guards get bored with this crazy man's testimony. So Paul switches audiences and starts encouraging other Christians. He tells the church to stand fast in the Lord, even though he is confined to a prison cell. He is in the middle of his darkest night, and yet he's still walking in the light. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be Paul at this point? I mean, I certainly cannot. I think I would have been writing. I mean, hey, there really isn't much to do in jail, right? But I don't think I would be encouraging anyone, that's for sure. The moment someone told me I would be put to death for believing in God, my Christian days of encouragement would have been over. You probably think I'm joking, but I'm quite serious. I can see my final chapter now, creatively titled, You Have Got to Be Kidding Me, Get Me Out of Here. But no, instead of denying Christ, instead of giving up or writing a sloppy shorthand letter to his lawyer, Paul begins a new chapter titled, Final Days, Learning Contentment. He writes, I imagine, after looking around to a cold and bare cell. There are no pillows for comfort. There is no family picture to which to cling. There are no microphones, no stage lights, or cute little juice glasses from which to drink his final beverage. Of all the things to say, Paul scribbles, I have learned to be content. Learned. That word alone strikes me as a simple yet profound verb choice. Paul did not just wake up one morning and know how contentment worked. No one wakes up in the morning with contentment on the brain. Contentment doesn't just magically happen. Paul had to learn contentment. The same way that we learn to tie our shoes, the same way that we learn to balance a checkbook, the same way that we learn to recite the ABCs or memorize the books of the Bible, Paul chose to put into practice what he had learned. And best of all, Paul didn't depend on a crowd of onlookers to persuade him to the left or to the right. In the same way, we've got to learn how to be content in the prison, in the palace, in the shelter, or in the sanctuary. Singles, don't allow your marital status to get in the way of praise and worship. Practice contentment. It could be a lot worse. Employees, you must choose to be content with your job even if you are overworked and underpaid learn contentment. It could be a lot worse. Worshippers, learn to be content with that which God has blessed you. Life, even as a Christian, is about making choices and living with them. Life doesn't hand you a first aid kit during an emergency and neither does the church. That's our problem. Too many of us are disappointed in God because we ran to him for a quick fix and not because he was our father. We treated God like he was only good enough to be our emergency doctor instead of our primary care physician. We would love for God to just prescribe a get better quick church med that will make us feel good about life. But the truth is, this is twisted theology. God is much more than a get out of jail free card. God is not like the tooth fairy who places dollars under our pillow every time we lose a tooth. No, God is God. And this Christian journey will require us to learn and practice contentment. If someone taught you that knowing Christ meant you would never have to practice contentment, they have lied to you. Christians endure tough times and rough times by choosing contentment over complaint. Spoiler alert, in the end you win. But plenty Christians claim to know Christ and are still dissatisfied with life's outcome. 
Paul was so satisfied with knowing Christ that he witnessed and worshiped in the middle of his wilderness. His life is in stark contrast to the children of Israel who complained about anything and everything, even though God had delivered them from bondage. Numbers 11 and 1 says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. The book of Numbers tells of another group of followers who did not worship during rough times. They were called the chosen people of God, but they were whimperers and whiners. God had delivered them out of Egyptian bondage, and still they complained. God would provide a cloud by day, fire by night, and some manna from heaven to eat. No, it wasn't steak, eggs, or a house salad, but it was food. Instead of being grateful, they complained to Moses about their present situation and begged for fish, cucumbers, and melon. Check it out in Numbers 11 and 5. So delusional did they become, they contemplated returning back to captivity just to guzzle down a number two from McDonald's extra value meal. Had the Israelites learned what Paul had put into practice, they would have been able to see God in the manna. But unfortunately, they didn't know how to control their complaining. So God responded harshly. The Bible says his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Numbers 11 and 1. But before destroying them all, you know what God did? He gave them what they asked for. In verse 20, God promised to give them so much meat that it eventually came out of their nostrils. Yuck. Moses thought God was kidding, but in verse 32, the people gathered the quail because God had provided enough quail to feed over 600,000 people. And everyone who ate this meat got sick. Then when they finished their food, God pronounced a benediction over their lives. It's in Numbers 1133. Read it for yourself. It's right there in the book. So here is what I know to be sure. God doesn't take well to those who complain after he provides. Your situation may seem a bit dim and unfortunate, but if you look around, you've got some evidence of manna in your life. So find the manna and bury the memory. If you let memories run your life, it will ruin your tomorrow. What you're being served today might not taste like the meat you once loved, but it surely is better than being enslaved to something or someone you know God never intended. So the choice is really yours. Which kind of Christian will you be? Will you be a complainer or will you practice contentment? Again, contentment does not happen overnight. Don't trick yourself into expecting microwavable results. It is a learned behavior and you've got to decide to be content. Which brings me right back to the verse of the day. First Timothy 6 and 6 says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. I know, I, I know, I know we would rather stick in a set of invisible AirPods, but the reality is we can't pretend these verses don't exist. Contentment is important. Contentment keeps our motive pure. It is a spiritual accountant that helps us to achieve balance in more ways than one. Contentment is that supernatural power every shopaholic needs in order to say, no, 
I don't need another pair of shoes today. Remember, Paul does not simply say godliness is great gain. No, he says godliness with contentment is great gain. Why is contentment a key component of our gain? Quite simply, because contentment is the weighing scale that helps us to balance who we are. Contentment is like vitamin C for every Christian who aspires to be spiritually healthy. We need contentment because this Christian walk is more of a tightrope than it is a walk in the park. Contentment will train the carnal mind not to be frustrated if the thing you're reaching for is too high for you to grab right now. Even the college student needs a bit of contentment so she or he will not end up in credit card debt for the rest of his or her life after the party season has ended. Contentment helps us to realize what we already have and what we are already fortunate enough to have. Did you know? That of the world's 6 billion people, 2.8 billion people live on less than $2 a day and 1.2 less than $1 a day. Listen, half of the world, according to a World Bank article I read years ago, lives on less than $2 a day. Wow. Could it be that many of us cannot reap the benefits because we don't recognize them? Could it be that we are fortunate and don't even realize it? We have a well-functioning car, but we complain if we don't have a car like our neighbor's car. We don't recognize our blessing until we become the worker without transportation. We don't appreciate the blessings until we have to wake up at 5 a.m. to arrive at a job that other people who have cars drag into 20 minutes late. It was just three months ago when we said, Lord, just give me a job. Just give me one more chance to get it right. Just let me get accepted into that program. And by the next page of our comic strip, God finds us hunched over the desk, hands burying our face and complaining until we go to church. Once we get there, instead of repenting for our ungratefulness, we run around the church screaming, the Lord is going to give me a new job. I am walking in my new season. Ouch. Now, don't get me wrong. God may give you a new job, but how about you show God appreciation for the one you have before you lay out demands for the one you think you need? Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I know. I know this was a tough cookie to swallow, but I pray this worship thought was a necessary lesson for us all. Instead of sowing seed for a new house, learn to be content with the apartment. As you believe God for a new job, thank God for the one you have. If you're unemployed, use your free time to serve the lesser fortunate. You may be contemplating divorce because you feel like you've married the wrong guy, but instead of complaining, how about you spend more time meditating on God's promises? God promised never to leave you. God promised to renew your strength. If you would be willing to wait, God will keep his word. God promised to be a very present help in the time of trouble. So today, learn to be content. What is our worship work? It is to make a list of all the things you have recently complained about. Pray over every complaint and be intentional about saying thank you to the Lord for what God has already blessed you with. Be careful not to confuse the will of God with the American dream. Instead, be grateful and try your best not to complain.